The following message was recorded at Beth Zion Messianic Synagogue in Jackson, New Jersey. Join us every Saturday and learn to see the truth of Messiah through Jewish eyes. This week's portion is called Bo, which means go. And it was a point in chapter 10 where the Lord said, Go to Pharaoh and make him and his servants, for I've made him and his servants hard-hearted so that I can demonstrate these signs of mine among them, so that you can tell your son and grandson about what I did to, Pharaoh, or to Egypt and about my signs that I demonstrated among them, and so that you will know that I am Hashem. When he mentions, when, when it goes through this, it's, it's talking about the final plagues that were coming, the darkness and the death of the firstborn. And I put down as a title for today, uh, Secrets to Becoming a Very Great Man. I suppose you could also make it more uh, generic and say, Secrets to Becoming Great. But I took it from the passage in Exodus 11, where in verse 3, and this was before they were getting ready to go out of the land, they were getting ready to be dismissed, and God was going to be bringing this final plague, the death of the firstborn, devastating the land, devastating all of the power that they were, in a sense, demonstrating or destroying the greatness of Pharaoh, who was thought to be like a god, devastating the greatness of all of their plethora of gods that they had, devastating what they saw was the greatness of their team, of their nation. And God was humbling them by his hand of power. And it says in this place that when you go out, he will throw you out completely. And then he says, now tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor and every woman her neighbor for gold and silver. And God opened up their hearts, the people, to want to be generous. It was sort of like severance pay for all the years of slavery that was happening. And God provided for them. And then it says in verse 3, Hashem made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. Moreover, Moshe was regarded by Pharaoh's servants and the people as a very great man in the land of Egypt. And I thought about that. He was regarded by Pharaoh by Pharaoh's servants and by the people of Egypt as a very great man. And so I wondered, what was it that made him great? What's the secret to becoming very great? Now, often when we look around with people, people think greatness is something that you embellish your resume. You tell everybody all of the great things you've done. And it's fine to talk about the things that you've accomplished and done. But the reality of the kind of greatness that is spoken of here is more than simply Moses bettered Pharaoh. Because it wasn't Moses bettering Pharaoh. It wasn't Moses coming forth and having his day in court, so to speak. In fact, I can't help but think, and I'm not going to get political, but I'm going to tell you this, that when it comes to a mindset we are, and I know this is difficult. When I do mention some things that happen in the news, 
people automatically immediately have an emotional reaction to whatever position you happen to hold. And this has nothing to do with positions. It has to do with the, with the state of our hearts. It has to do with how we view where our loyalty is. Our loyalty is to the Lord. Our loyalty is not to establish our own greatness. Our loyalty is to be as a servant. As we've read before, and we're going to look at a few verses in Luke that speak of this very thing. Whoever is going to be great among you must be the least among you. There is something about him taking in that portion we looked at before in Luke 9 where he has the children come and he says, you have to be like children when we come before the Lord. There is a dependence on God. It's not a dependence on all of the best we could be or think we are. It's not puffing ourselves up with a padded resume. It is yielding ourselves to the Lord and the greatness that was viewed by the people of Moses was not because there was a, a sense of self-greatness in him, but it was the humble nature, the brokenness before God, and it was the manifestation of God's power being demonstrated to the people that was challenging all of the status quo of their day. And so the people saw Moses as the representative of the God who was devastating their gods, who was winning their case. You know, it's a funny thing, but when people look and find defiance or find challenge in life, we have a tendency to do one of two things, one of three things maybe, to back off, to get angry, or to find our place in the Lord and look how we're going to move forward. And so oftentimes it's a natural reaction to fight back, to defend ourselves and all of these things. But we may find ourselves in a, what they call a slippery slope. Because once we begin to focus only on our natural abilities, we begin to falter. When you think about it, what was it that gave Moses the ability to move forward where not only did he have opposition from Pharaoh, but he had opposition from the very people he was sent to deliver? A person, maybe you would feel that way, others too, maybe that, you know, if they're not interested, why am I going to invest my time my energy, put my life on the line for someone who doesn't care, who doesn't seem like they really want it, all they ever do is complain. I mean, you could see that. And yet when we see with Yeshua himself, he demonstrated as the greatest. It wasn't Muhammad Ali, though he was great. The greatest was Yeshua himself. And what was Yeshua's model for determining that greatness. It wasn't to say and proclaim his greatness. It was coming as a servant to the people. And so we see here with Pharaoh all of these things that are stated throughout this time, how the firstborn 
would be killed. And, you know, I think if it was happening like this today, I'll tell you what I think would probably happen. For that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Hashem. I would probably want to have, I probably would find somebody today, whether it's PETA or whether it's somebody say, you're going to kill the firstborn of every animal. You're going to kill the, and what about those gods? You're going to destroy and humiliate those gods just because they don't worship you? I mean, I think they would bring a case against him today. It would be something that says it's not fair. It's not allowing for everybody to just have what they want to do. And yet in the process of doing this, he was delivering people out of a place of slavery. There was a hypocrisy with it there. It would be the kind of thing that's saying, and, and I'm... And, I'm going to mention a few things. When this terrorist was killed, it was amazing to me to hear on the news this Islamic scholar, this man who was a a a a, uh, what was it a uh, uh, a worker whatever work he did a, a builder or something, and how he rose and became so well received and loved among his army and among his people. The man was a butcher. The man destroyed thousands of lives. But people put a spin on it. And you see, I've said this before, and I'm not here to tell you which spin to listen to. I'm saying that we have to be on our guard for all spin. Whatever the position, watch for the spin and just, it's like, remember Detective Friday? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. And I think that what we have to do is look and see, you know, that, that thing, what would Yeshua do? What would God do? What is God saying in this? We have to look at things and not be sidetracked by other things because Whatever the call to greatness was, it wasn't being called to greatness to destroy Egypt, but in the process of where their hearts were at, they hardened their hearts towards God. They hardened their hearts. And one of the reasons that Pharaoh hardened his heart was because he grew up with a sense of, I guess you could call it eliteness, being elite. You could look at his place and say, I mean, how much more elite can you be than a God? (laughs) And so when other, he wasn't used to having anybody challenge his Godship, and in comes Moses and does all of these powerful moves of God's spirit working, wasn't Moses. He was the vessel, but it was the hand of God coming to make a declaration. And what was that declaration? You know, he could have just done something quietly on the side, got everybody out. Maybe it would be like Tubman would do the Underground Railroad. We're going to get everybody out through Egypt and get them out, and no one will know, and they'll all be gone. It'd be great. But there was a demonstration of God's power that was being 
brought forth here. There was a declaration of who God was, not just as the creator, but as the deliverer, as the one who holds true to his covenant that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he was coming here, and it's 430 years or so, and here it is, they're crying out, and in that place of distress, God heard their cry and came and delivered by a mighty hand. He said, he will not let you go, but by the time I get through, he certainly will. And what he did was he demonstrated that, and isn't it interesting that every person on the planet, practically, knows the story of what God did in humbling Egypt, humbling Pharaoh, and declaring on the world stage who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was. Because prior to that, it seems like the only ones who knew about it were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his sons. And after years of slavery and years of distress, I would venture to say that most of the people were despondent and in despair and forgot about the greatness of the Creator. Forgot about that because how great could He be if I'm sitting in a place of suffering? And so they were in despair. And when things happened and Moses came forth, they said, this sounds good. And then Pharaoh said, no straw, make the bricks, same number. They said, you made it worse. Who asked you to get involved? And yet he moved forward because he had not an agenda to make himself to be great, but he was serving the great creator. He was serving the one who is great above every name that is named. He is the one above everything. And in the process, he used a man. And it's always fascinating to me that when we look through the scriptures and we see the people that God used, there were people who tried to declare themselves to be important. They were not the ones used. There was one man who was enthusiastic. Ahimeas, I think his name was. And when Absalom was killed, he, sent, he, he was sending out a messenger to David. And the messenger went forth. And Ahimeas said, send me. He says, you don't have a message. He says, send me. And he went and he, raised, and he passed up the other guy. He passed him. He got there before him. They saw him coming. He says, he's a good man. He has a good message. He says, what's the message? How is my son? And he said, uh, I don't know. He said, step aside. Getting there, what was he trying to accomplish? I'm thinking about the man who left before him and got passed up. What would have happened if he had said, ah, this guy left after me. He probably knows what I know and more. I may as well go back. But he had a calling to go forward and bring this message. It was a simple message. But this other one passed him by. And he had to step aside. It wasn't his time of greatness. Later, the man became a great man of God. He became one of David's chief people. But at that time, he was trying to establish whether his enthusiasm for wanting to serve or whether it was for himself, I don't know. But he was put on the shelf for a while. 
When we look at all of these things going on, God was establishing for the world stage to see the power of God move in a way that would let them know that through the seed of Abraham was going to eventually come the Messiah. That as we look at the Passover story unfold, it was speaking also, as we will see when we come to the Seder, all of the, all of the messianic implications that are there pointing to the one who would come and who would come as the creator. He would come as the one who was from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He emptied himself. There was a, so if the one key to greatness is to empty ourselves, is not to establish our own grandeur, our own greatness, but to humble ourselves, the example that Yeshua gave, and it's the same with all of the ones I mentioned before, the patriarchs of our people. Look at every one of them, and none of them stood up and said, I think I'm called to be in charge. Even King Saul hid himself. There was a brokenness. There was not a sense of putting themselves forward. For some, eventually, the power itself caused their focus to shift off of God and onto themselves. And there were consequences for that. But the real source of greatness that God speaks about comes from our submission to him. You know, he actually said that you will be when he told him to go and he says, send somebody else, I can't speak. He said, you will be as God before Pharaoh. Now, for some people today, they probably would have gone out and had business cards made up saying, I am as God. <laughs> or, I am great. But it wasn't that. He understood his frailty. He understood, and all of them seemed to understand their brokenness and their frailty. But they also, in the process, learned about the repair work of God, the restorative power of God, and the greatness of God, who is able to take the least and make them to be great. You know, when we look at the passage in... Uh, it's also, I, I was going to mention, too, that at the end of this section, he says in chapter, it's a couple places, but in chapter 13, he tells them in verse 9, Moreover, it will serve as a sign on your hand and on as a reminder between your eyes so that the Lord's Torah may be on your lips because with a strong hand, Hashem brought you out of the land of Egypt. He says, when your sons ask you, in verse 14, when at some future time your sons ask you, what is this? Then say to him with a strong hand, Hashem brought us out of Egypt, out of that abode of slavery. And when Pharaoh was unwilling to let go, God killed all the firstborn males of Egypt, both the firstborn of humans, the firstborn of animals. And what we saw was the hand of God move in power. People might look and wonder and say, did it take all that? Why that? But you know, even at the Passover, you know, when we take the, 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 the wine and on the, the, the cup and we dip and we take it with 10 drops of, 
the cup out of it, diminishing the cup of joy because lives were lost for us to be free. And even the idea of representing and understanding in that moment, not rejoicing over the death of those that died, but reminding ourselves that people's lives were lost in the process. And there was a reminder of a humility and a understand, an understanding that God was working to do something of deliverance. But deliverance not just for the Jewish people, for all people. Because universally, all people understand this concept when God said, let my people go. But I want to jump down here just for uh, a little bit more I've been talking about, but I, I want to look at the passages for a moment. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in Jeremiah, there is also a passage uh, for this week. It says, don't be afraid, Yaakov, my servant, for I am with you. I will finish off all the nations where I have scattered you. However, you I will not finish off. I will discipline you as you deserve but not completely destroy you. There is this promise that he would bring them back. He said, yes, uh, yet don't be afraid, Yaakov, my servant. Don't be distressed, Israel, for I will save you from faraway places and your offspring from the lands where they are, hold, are being held captive. Yaakov will return and be at peace, quiet with no one to make him afraid. When we are aligning ourselves with the Lord, when we experience the transforming work of Messiah in our hearts, you know, there are many things we can do to please God. We can follow all of the details of Torah. We can follow all these different things and yet not be engaged in our relationship with Him. The most important aspect of what God has provided us with is His presence to be with us. It is his presence that makes us great, not the great things we do. And so when he says an argument rose among the Talmudim, isn't it interesting? An argument rose, and what was that? Who is to be the greatest? And he said that, welcome the children. This is what it's all about. He also goes on, that was in chapter 9. When you go to chapter 23, you figure, wow, I mean, that's a pretty good time now, working with him all these years. And uh, they must have really learned something about this subject. Uh, they probably saw his example, and they just decided, you know, this is so true. And so it says in chapter 22 of Luke, uh, verse 21, but look, the person who is betraying me is here at the table with me. The Son of Man is going to his death according to God's plan. Now, isn't it interesting, too, when he says, the Son of Man is going to his death according to God's plan. Now, think about this. He's talking to his disciples. Now, if, God, if, if we had Messiah with us and we were standing, would you think that if he said, I'm going to my death, and he's saying, it's according to God's plan, but woe to the man by whom he will be betrayed. They began asking each other which of them could be about to do such a thing. That's a question. The very next word, verse, says this. An argument arose among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. He just says to them, I'm about to be executed being betrayed by one of you. 
they discussed among themselves, who do you think it is? In the process, it shifts over to not trying to find an answer and solution for what he described as his demise, but it shifts over to saying, well, you know, I think I'm going to be the greatest. And the argument arose among them to which of them would be considered the greatest. Yeshua said to them, the kings of the Goyim lorded over them, and those in authority over them are given the title benefactor. But not so with you. On the contrary, let the greatest among you become like the younger, and one who rules like one who serves. For who is greater, the one reclining at the table or the one who serves? It's the one reclining at the table, isn't it? But I myself am among you like one who serves. You are the ones who have stayed with me throughout my trial. Just as my father gave me the right to rule, so I give you an appointment, namely to drink and eat at my table in the kingdom and to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. To which they probably said, now you're talking. Missing everything with it. Remember later on, before the book of Acts, they said, or when they were coming into the city, look at this temple, look at how it is, look at how great it is, unbelievable. When do we start ruling? And he said, not one stone will be left upon another. They were clueless because their understanding of greatness was the position itself. The position is not the greatness. The greatness is the result of submitting as a servant to God in a way that allows him to serve us and to, uh, and to, uh, to bring about his plan. Uh, I want to mention one other verse in Matthew. I find this interesting. In Matthew, it's uh, chapter 23, verse 8, it says, but, are not, but you are not to let yourselves be called rabbi because you have one rabbi and you are all each other's brother. And do not call anyone on earth father, because you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to let yourselves be called leaders, because you have one leader, and he is the Messiah. The greatest among you must be your servant. For whoever promotes himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be promoted. Woe to you, hypocritical Torah teachers in Pirushim. For you are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, neither entering yourselves nor allowing those who wish to enter to do so. When all we do is argue our positions, when all we do is choose a team, when all we do is, is disseminate spin, we are diminishing the kingdom of God. We are diminishing the calling that we have for God's greatness to shine forth in humble vessels. Where does he say his great treasure is invested? In earthen vessels. The treasure is God himself. The vessels are chosen and special because he's chosen us. Not because we have some great intrinsic value of our own. And it doesn't mean that you go around self-depreciating yourself either because that would diminish the value of God's choice. 
But the value of the greatness that comes forth is not something embedded within how good we are or how well we perform, but how well we submit and serve the Creator and allow Him to manifest His greatness in the midst of all of this terrible generation, all of this, these horrible things going on. You know, I would say this also. I thought about this, and I thought, in the, if, this was, if this was one of those professionally wrestling matches, you know, and they say, we've got Pharaoh facing Moses. You know, I'm going to rip you to shreds. I'm going to tell you. Well, I'm going to devastate you. I'm going to. This is not a show. And yet it was a demonstration of God's power. But I thought about it also in this respect. If you look at it as a court case, if you look at it as a court case, Pharaoh was presenting all of his stuff. And who was the centerpiece of his performance and case? Himself as God. And Moses comes in, he presents his case. All of his points being shot down by Pharaoh as he was presenting against him. Now, you would have thought that if Pharaoh was going to do something really bold, what he could have done was say, let's end this now. Kill him. Now I have no problem. I wondered why it never occurred to Pharaoh to kill Moses. It's because Moses was protected by something outside of Pharaoh's ability to do. And we see him demonstrating that when it came to some of the plagues later on, when all of Egypt was being devastated by the plagues. And yet in Israel, in the Jewish community, there was protection. When it was darkness, they had light. When other things happened, they were spared. And we see the hand of God moving. And so God was presenting the case. And in the end, in the end, Pharaoh lost that case. Israel won. Moses won. The world won. Because we see the hand of God moving to bring about God's purpose over a long period of time. 430 years seems like a long time. But what about over thousands of years till Messiah came on the scene and then these last 2,000 years where people from all nations are having avenue to be able to be reconciled back to the God, the creator of all things. What an amazing testimony that is brought forth. What greatness is established when somebody is not looking to simply defend themselves. God didn't say... No, no, I'm really great. I'm really great. <laughs> what you had was God patiently in his power, seeing man plan and laughing, seeing man come against and God shutting it down, seeing these things happen and God demonstrating his deliverance power and his love, seeing people following him and then turning from him, and God saying when they cried out, I said, return and I will return. And there is this constant move, the pulse beat of God's love towards us, constantly calling us, even when we go astray, the very ones that he delivered, 
he says, I'll make an avenue of return. And isn't it interesting that that's what was said in that passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called to be, they call him the weeping prophet, because at the beginning of his calling, he said, nobody will listen to you, but you will tear down. And he gave a series of things of the tear down and then build up. God is always looking to get to the build-up and restoration stage. But it doesn't have its value until those things that have vaunted themselves as great, that are not great, as gods that are not gods, are humbled and brought down to understand that God only will you serve and no other. All of these things are established so that God can demonstrate his love for his people and his love and his desire. And Messiah came as the chief example of that. The accuser of the brethren came. The deceiver came. He tried to get him to turn stones into bread because he personally was hungry. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you think he was talking about all of the intricate details of Torah? He was talking about obedience to the Father. He was talking about looking to see what God was doing, what the Father was doing. He didn't just simply go by what was written, but he didn't go against what was written. But he saw God so that his actions were not by rote and not by regulation, but by submission to God humbling himself even to death. And what he did, I've mentioned this many times, when he was on the execution stake, he didn't do what most people would do and immediately try to defend and blame. Say, it's not my fault, this isn't fair. He said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. But he knew what he was doing. He knew what was being transformed. He knew what was happening. And he was going to take back all that the adversary claimed as his reign, as his kingship, and it was no kingship. It was a false kingship. And we have to know that we, okay, we're Americans, or if you're from another country, you're whatever country, but we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens in the kingdom of God. And where is the kingdom of God? wherever we allow the king to reign. And so when he reigns, we need to reign in everything else and put it in submission to God. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is that saying? He's saying, all of those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God means that their actions and their decisions are thought to be greater than God. And he says we bring every thought captive. We, bring, we, we don't go by the imaginations and all of the ruminations and all of the exaggerations that come about. We humble ourselves before God. And I love the passage, and I'm going to bring it to a close with this. I love the passage that, uh, from 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. The greatest gift that God gave us, the greatest gift was the greatest one, Messiah. The greatest gift he gave and demonstrated to us was the idea that as we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. That we don't take recognition for what is accomplished, but we take acknowledgement that he is in charge, that he is the greatest, that he is the source of all these things. And I, I thought about this too. We say, if my people who are called by my name, don't just skip over that part who are called by my name. Because here is the thing that he's saying. He's not saying, if my people who are called by my name, uh, saying, well, they say they're my people, but look at how they're strength. No, these are people called by his name to be the people of God. But even the people of God can get sidetracked. And so what he says is, if, he's not saying that the people of God are evil or wicked, but he's saying there are always fighting within us those elements that we have to be mindful of. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Called by my name seems like a high calling, and it is. But humble ourselves acknowledges the one who is above us. You know, sometimes people think that humility is being humbled or that humility is, um, is talking about how nothing you are. But you know what the greatest source of humility is? When you are in the presence of greatness, you don't want to speak. When you're in the presence of greatness, you step back. When you're in the presence of greatness, your opinion is not what you're trying to present. You're not trying to posture yourself as important because when you acknowledge and note that you are in the presence of greatness, you become silent. There is a, it's a humility that is based not on how bad we say we are or what our failures are, but the greatest humility is being able to see Messiah high and lifted up, to understand his greatness, to understand that he didn't have to purchase us back. He didn't have to redeem us. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to do it, but he did. And the love that's demonstrated there is what humbles us to say, oh God, why but thank you. We wouldn't do it. But as we learn of him. We take his yoke upon us and learn of him. We begin to look around at others who are in need. And we don't point out all the steps they have to take to do better. Every day in every way, I am getting better. Just say that over and over and everything will go fine. No, no. There is something that has to bring us to that broken place so that in the moment of that broken place, we are able to see that God has an avenue to set us free. If Israel prospered in Egypt, as they started out doing, and never did go through the suffering that they went through, when God said, okay, guys, now I want to bring you to the land, they said, for what reason? I'm happy here. I have no reason to go. Even when they had reason to go, they didn't want to go. 
Even after they went out, they said, this is hard. Let's go back. There are these challenges and struggles, but the greatness is God who has patience to work with us, to love us through all of those rebellious moments and to bring about change. When he says that we're to love one another like he loved us, ask yourself one question. Why don't we? Why do we write everybody off that doesn't agree with us? I can't answer that. But I would think that we have a false idea of where the greatness lies. And if we can understand the great one who is the one we want to serve, and we humble ourselves before him, he says, then I will heal their land. I will forgive their sins. He's not getting the politicians to do it. He's not getting the legislatures to make laws to do it. It starts with those who are called by his name. And everything else flows from that. We need to have intimate relationship with him. So we as his people call upon him, and he comes and delivers us in every way. Avinu Malkainu, our Father, our King, we thank you for your promises. The secret to becoming very great is to know that you are the one who there was no one greater than, and that you and your love have made yourself known to, to us, that you provided the sacrifice of Messiah, Messiah laid his life down for us so that we could experience the resurrection power of God, that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and by the demonstration and the execution and the sacrifice of Messiah, we were having the penalty covered by you. And you rose again so that you could justify what was taking place, so that we don't have to remain in that place of death but raise up in newness of life as we walk in union with you. Lord, help us to walk in union with you and not be sidetracked by all the voices that are out there, not be sidetracked and kept from doing the things that we are called to do to demonstrate your power in this age when people are so caught up in thinking themselves to be of so much importance. Lord, it's not our place to tell them they're not important. We're to pray for them in their positions of authority. But to demonstrate the greatness of the one we serve in a way that will cause them to be humbled in their hearts, to be transformed, or to be removed from the scene. Lord, we ask you to bring about something that man cannot accomplish. Humankind does not have the ability to put a plan together to do it no matter how brilliant we may think we all are. But you have a plan in place that has spanned millennia. You are the one who from the beginning saw redemption for all people. And Lord, we ask you to bring it about in our day in a new dimension to see your word go forth, your time, our times of prayer, our times of, in your word. Lord, invest in us Download to us those things that we need to know and understand. Equip us, Lord, to be able to recognize that in everything we do, your greatness is set on high. And you are the one who receives all accolades, all glory, honor, and praise. 
and let others look and say, what is it that you don't take credit for it? But you stand and there is a demonstration of your presence and power. Lord, we want to be in that place. We're not looking to posture for man. We are looking to be vessels that yield ourselves to you, Lord, to have the impact of heaven and not the impact of our own impartial ways. Lord, help us, or even our good intentions. Lord, help us to do what we see the Father doing and to be looking continually to your presence within us, to will and to do of your good pleasure, Lord. Help us to yield to you and be vessels that bring others to know you. In Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about Beth Zion, please visit our website at www.bethzion.org.